This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. Good morning, beloved. Guys doing all right on this uh, rainy fall day. I want to welcome those who are joining us through live stream and everybody who is here in this worship center this morning. It's so good to be with you. I'm Jonathan Coleman, uh, one of the pastors here at Anderson Hills. You just saw words that were written by the Apostle John. We're beginning a series focusing on the letters that he wrote. We're going to look at our relationship with God. Just like friendships grow and fade with changes in life, so does our fellowship with God face challenges. And sometimes it feels like it can begin to fade as well. We're going to learn how we can strengthen our relationship with God and keep that strong. We're going to look at what it really means to profoundly love God and love each other. Today, we're going to learn about how to come out of the darkness and run into God's light. First, who was John? Well, John was the apostle of fellowship. John was the one who leaned his head on Jesus and shared intimate moments with him. John could put on his resume, closest friend of Jesus, the disciple whom Jesus loved. St. John knows about intimacy. In fact, he knows about intimacy with God and each other. He wants people to piggyback on that intimacy and have that with God and each other in fellowship. He deeply desires to see that and also deeply desires for people to experience purity in their lives. In his first letter, he talks about how we can live in the world but not love the world. Moving from sinfulness to purity and then crawling out of darkness into God's wonderful light and walking in that light forever. He shares with all how he heard and saw Jesus at the beginning of that letter and how he, in fact, touched him and heard him and experienced those intimate moments with the divine Son of God. Finally, in verse 4, John says he writes the letter in order to make your joy complete. He's just repeating the words of Jesus when Jesus said that in John 15, 11. For I have told you that you're, that, so that you can have joy and your joy can be complete. It's God's will for us to have that complete joy. 
It's one of the reasons why he wrote that letter. It's God's will. Billy Sunday said, if Christian doesn't have joy, there's a leak in your Christianity. Another reason John wrote this letter is to have fellowship with God and also deep fellowship with each other. And we do that together corporately and then also with spiritual friends. Fellowship is why we have life groups. Fellowship is why we have bands of people meeting together so that we can fan the flames of love in us and through us and lift others up into a higher reality of living. Let's begin. John uses the word if. The biggest little word in the English language is if. Our scripture today is full of ifs. The deeper I dug, the more ifs I find in this letter. Together in these five verses, let's look at these ifs and see how they can brighten the corner of our world, our lives together. First, John digs in deep how that we can reject darkness. We can reject darkness, he says. Let's look at 1 John 1, 5, and 6. He says, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. Darkness is this metaphor for living a life of sin. And John says that. We say at times in our lives, don't we? Man, I'm, I'm really in a dark place. And we find that looming over our heads at times, especially when we are just feeding, being defeated by sin. Darkness makes it hard to see things as they are. In darkness, it's easy to hide what you're doing. It's hard to tune in to the realities of God. When John speaks about walking in darkness, he's referring to living a life of falsehood and also self-deception. God desires that we reject the things that are, are not right. When temptation enters the room, John says you must reject it with all of your might through the supernatural power and help of the Holy Spirit. People get used to living the wrong way. Dark habits can creep in to a person's life, like gossip or lying or anger or outbursts or re, uh, rage or greed or cursing or lust or drunkenness, and the list can go on and on and on. The deeds of darkness, John says, breaks fellowship with God and each other. Think about the harm that sin does when it ravages in our relationships. You know, there's a lot of things in the world that we ought not to get used to. We ought not to be comfortable because they break the purposes of God in our lives. Walking in darkness makes it difficult to get a clear read of the righteous things of God. And sin affects our fellowship with a holy God and others. Poet Alexander Pope said this about vice. He says, vice is a monster so frightful mean as to be hated but needs to be seen. Yet seen too oft, familiar with her face, we first endure, then pity, 
than embrace. John says vice, sin needs to be brought to the light. When John speaks about light, he's referring to goodness and truth. It's amazing sometimes when we take our lives and we open it up before others and we open it up before God and say, God, you see it. I want to reject these things. I want to put them in the rearview mirror behind me so that I can live in the light of your truth. It's just like cracking on the lights in order to see things as they are. And I've, se- I've seen that happen when we've had roaches when I was a kid. <laughs> Clack, crack on the light. You see, oh, there's that roach. I can call the exterminator right now, man. I can't stand roaches. We have to bring out and crack on the light of God's light so that the truth can be exposed. And with God's help, exterminate sinful living. The apostle John states that we can walk in the light as Jesus is in the light. We can walk in the light our whole lives. 1 John 1 substantiates this. He says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. There's a call by God to come to the light of God's goodness and truth. In the mid-90s, there was a song called In the Light by DC Talk, and I used to love it. I keep trying to find a life on my own apart from you. I am the king of excuses. I got one for every selfish thing I do. Oh, what's going on inside of me? I despise my own behavior. It simply serves to confirm my suspicion that I'm still a man in need of a savior. I want to be in the light as you are in the light. See, I know this song, man. I could sing the whole thing to you. There's a, oh, thank you. That's, trust me, I'm not Eric. Man, did you hear that falsetto by Eric? Wow, holy cow. There's a call by God to come to the light, to come to goodness and truth, to take a walk in that light forever. To walk in fellowship in the light of Jesus Christ who says, I am the light of the world. Walking in the light is a habitual, consistent response that should characterize those who know God. There's a way of living that harmonizes every facet of life with the presence of God. Light gives life. Just like photosynthesis just does amazing things to our plant world and the systems of the plant world, and gives us good sources of vitamin D, so does God's light in our lives. The light of God's goodness and truth is purifying our fellowship with God and others. Pure flowing fellowship. Light reveals the the good things of the world to us. Light helps us see. Light helps us grow. Light gives us the colors of the rainbow and the beauty of the sunset. The light of our lives is Jesus Christ, and we can walk in fellowship with him when we believe and we trust and we abide in him throughout our lives. You see, in him, there's no darkness at all, John says. In him, there's no shadows In him, the way becomes clear. He lights our path, a light, the next faithful step that we take. He gives light to and guidance for our lives. We have to trust in him and not be afraid. 
John 8, 21, Jesus says this about himself. He says again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. You know, you can brighten up people's rooms with your light that comes from Christ Jesus. That's what God wants to do. Jesus desires us to follow his life, his patterns, his rhythms, and he lit up people wherever he was. He changed the course and trajectory of those people through his light and guidance in their lives and his words. Living in the light is walking with him in joyful obedience and allowing his ways to become our ways. And that's totally countercultural. To walk is to get going. To walk is to move on. To, to, if we're going to talk the talk, we need to walk the walk in him and do that together in community. When we walk in the light of the Lord of his love, what a glory he sheds on our way, as that old hymn says. It increases our fellowship with others and ourselves. Whether we want it or not, God's light will always reveal the truth about our lives, both internal and externally as well. You see, we can practice the deeds of light and be his light for others. We can radiate his divine light and life-giving love and life-giving presence through the routines of the day by learning his routines and staying and remaining and abiding in the scripture in prayer and being with spiritual friends. So how do we bring light to our lives? Well, John has a remedy. He does. We have to claim our sin first. We have to claim our sin. Look at verse, 1 John 1.8. He says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Evidently, there were some pretty arrogant people that John knew who said they were above reproach. They encountered, he encountered them and they said, well, we are not we don't have sin in our lives. They didn't want to address that sin in their lives. As a believer, the penalty of sin is gone for us as believers, but the propensity to sin remains in us. We will sin in thought, word, and deed. It's just a reality that we face on this side of the world. We do have a problem. We have, in those pivotal moments, those small moments when we're tempted to sin and make a choice to sin by thought, word, and deed. We follow too much of the devices and desires of our hearts. We do those things we not ought to do. We say those things we ought not to say. We leave undone the things that need to be done, don't we? The Bible calls that problem sin. Notice the second two-letter word in every one of these state conditional statements. John uses if we. He uses the plural. It's, it's a communal thing. We share in that struggle together. I remember being a student pastor at Union Plains United Methodist Church, and I would constantly call people to come to the altar during our pastoral prayer time. And people just wouldn't do it. They would just sit there and stay and remain. And I just thought, I thought, man, it would be so good for, for folks to, to come and to pray on their knees. Well, one Sunday, Norma Cleveland, like 
she's probably in her late 80s, the saint of the church. Norma Cleveland came forward and in her, in her old bones, she, she did it, but she knelt at the altar. I'll tell you what happened. Everybody was just like blown away. Norma's up there. Norma's up there. What's she doing? Is she confessing her sin? Norma? <laughs> what happened was, all of a sudden, Ed went up. Larry went up. All of the, everybody started going up. And we had just an incredible, it was almost like a little mini revival at Union Plains United Methodist Church out there in Mount Orb. She knew her sin. She claimed her sin publicly. She knew the if we, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. That's our first reaction is to deny that reality sometimes. John Claypool says, one time-honored way of dealing without shadow selves is to deny them, to turn to simply turn our backs on certain things within us that we find too painful or shameful to admit, refusing to acknowledge that they exist. As I walk through life, sometimes I'm surprised what enters into my brain. And I know, man, Jonathan, J. Cole, man, you are, in fact, a sinner. And on this side of heaven, it's going to be that way. But you have to walk in the light, in his holiness, and in his love. Peter, in the upper room, he said to Jesus, These other fickle followers of yours may turn and run in the time of trial, but I will always be there for you, Jesus, all the way to the grave. But Peter rep or Jesus replied, Peter, <laughs> this very night before the rooster crows, you'll deny, deny me three times. His denial of Jesus Christ was because of that sin living in him. And it's a part of our reality of who we are. And he didn't blame anyone except himself. He went into repentance and moved into freedom through that repentance of his sin. We can't shift the blame to others. We can't also give an excuse, give excuses that the devil did it. When I was a kid, my Aunt Josie, had this Flip Wilson and Geraldine doll. Yeah, it was. It was it, Geraldine was on one side and Flip Wilson was on the other side. And you'd pull the string and it'd have these statements that, they would, that, that Geraldine and Flip Wilson would, would make. One statement was Geraldine would say, the devil made me buy this dress. The devil made me buy this dress. And you'd pull it and there's just these hilarious statements. I think we blame the devil far too often. Yes, the enemy is a deceiver and a liar. And we at times believe those lies. Yet we have to raise the hand and claim that we are sinner, sinners. And bring, that brings light to our lives, John says. It shows the reality of who we are. And it keeps us humble. We claim sin and then next, what John says to bring light to our lives is we can confess our sins. 1 John 1, 9 through 2, 2 uh, verse 2 says, If we confess our sins, 
He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Here's the good news. Here's the good news. God has a remedy for sin. It's called confession, forgiveness, and it produces cleansing. As Protestants, we believe that we can confess our sins directly to God. He knows us best and loves us the most. God clearly tells us that one of the gifts of his true goodness is the cleansing we feel after we've admitted our faults and our sins. We are wise, my friends, to make our humble confessions to Almighty God. And God, as, as John writes, is faithful and just and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. It's good to confess. And we can do that directly to God. We don't have to do it through anyone. And we believe that together as Protestants. But there are times where it is good to confess sin to a trusted brother or sister who will keep our confessed sins confidential. I love the fact that we have bands, small bands here at Anderson Hills. We have a band, many bands of men and women who do life together. And here are the five questions that are asked during a band meeting. How is it with your soul? How is it with your soul? Bearing your soul to someone. What are your struggles and successes? How might the spirit and the scriptures be speaking to your life? And then you talk about that. And then when you're ready to go deeper, maybe after a few weeks, you ask question number four. Do you have any sin that you want to confess? And then number five, are there any secrets or hidden things that you would like to share? Boy, talk about getting nitty-gritty with somebody, with a couple other people. It's good. It's cleansing, man. It's like having a shower with Irish spring just being lathered all over you. God is faithful to forgive our sin. And when sin is confessed, oh, there's, or someone is urged in the band to speak words of pardon. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. These are cleansing questions, wiping the whiteboard, clearing the conscience. John brings forth these cleansing ingredients to our lives. And God is faithful to forgive. Forgiveness is God's remedy for the past, my friends. God forgives the wrong we do so we can discover the people who we were created to be. As far as the east is from the west, the word of God says, so you have been removed from your sin. So have you been removed from your transgressions, says the psalmist. You know, forgiveness doesn't erase the facts, ignore the wrong, or excuse the pain. Forgiveness forges a new start. It is a gift of grace that restores our self-esteem and how we view ourselves in this world. It cancels debt. It sets free to be who we were created to be. Forgiveness fixes 
the faulty person. The blood of Jesus Christ, John writes, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. You know, you can tell a lot about a person from medical blood work. I just had my blood analyzed. <laughs> there was all kinds of information about me from my doctor. Put it before him. My blood can tell the doctor a lot about how I'm taking care of myself, how my diet's going, what, what my, my blood is doing to fight infection. Recently, I had diverticulitis, man. Oh my gosh, a couple weeks ago. I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. And my white blood count, he said, your white blood count is high because I was fighting that infection. I think about Jesus' blood. We come to communion today. We talk about this blood that cleanses. I think his blood, the white blood count of his blood was off the chart. That divine white blood count heals the disease of sin. It obliterates it, my friends. The ultimate antibiotic for life with fellowship with God and each other. There's that old hymn. It says, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Sinners plunged beneath the flood lose all their guilty stains. Maybe you've come here today with guilt and shame. Maybe you have a sin-sick, heavy heart that's weighing you down, that's keeping you from a life of freedom. There's cleansing power in the blood of Jesus Christ. Spiritually speaking, it continues to cleanse us from all unrighteousness throughout our lives and into eternity. You know, think about it. Shortly after the resurrection, the disciples were behind closed doors living in fear. They were wallowing, wallowing in guilt and shame because of the wounds of their abandonment of Jesus Christ. But Jesus came among them. And the first thing he did was he showed them his wounds on his hands and his feet and his side. Why? He wanted them to know that they could press their wounds against his wounds. So that transference of, of just the total elimination of their wounds of shame and guilt could be obliterated and cast away. He allowed his wounds to heal them. By his wounds, my friends, we are healed. And we can press our wounds to his wounds through the ministry of confession. We come to this table today. We have our sins already forgiven, forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ.